Romans 12, 2-8. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of you, each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is, it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. You may be seated. Robert, I'm going to ask you to go back to the announcements and do the last slide of the announcements, the uh, disaster relief. Uh, in case uh, you missed the announcements, uh, came in maybe a little bit late or uh, just right after the announcements, I uh, want to give you a heads up again that um, with all of the things that have been happening uh, around the state of Texas and you know, in, the, in the south and the southwest, uh, lots of rain. There have been some tornadoes that, that have hit. There's been quite a bit of devastation. There's been the loss of life. People have lost everything. People are having to start all over again. Uh, there are just expenses and expenses and expenses for a lot of, a lot of folk around the state and, and around the United States because of, of things that have been happening with climate and, and weather recently. Uh, our church has already sent a $5,000 check to the Church of Christ Disaster Relief Team. Uh, we have a long... Uh, History with these folks, they, they are extremely able to, to deal with crisis, tragic crisis situations wherever they happen in the United States. They, they have relationships and, and uh, venues of communication and uh, relationships with, with churches that have opened doors and allow them to be able to get in very, very quickly and to help take care of some very immediate needs that people who are in these kinds of situations have. And uh, we have already sent a $5,000 check because of the relationship with vendors and, and, and such in, in the business world. This ministry has, is able to take that $5,000 and to turn it into $15,000 worth of goods and, and services for people in these affected areas. Uh, we want to give you, many of you have been asking uh, over the last week or so, uh, is there a chance for us to respond? Is there something that we can do? Um, what, are, what are the plans? And as they stand today, we're going to give you an opportunity to continue giving towards the, the relief efforts that Church of Christ disaster relief teams are going to be involved in. There are going to be three distribution centers in the state of Texas, uh, Houston, uh, the San Marcos, uh, Wimberley area, and Grand Prairie. And if you would like to give, uh, and it doesn't have to be today if, uh, if you did not come prepared to give, but if you would like to give, uh, we will certainly uh, take those donations and they will go directly to, um, to this ministry. But please make your check out to the MacArthur Park Church of Christ. In the memo, put uh, Church of Christ Disaster Relief. Give it to one of the elders or staff ministers. We'll make sure that it gets uh, to where it's supposed to go. Um, we're going to pray one more time, not only about this, but the lesson as we look at uh, 
Romans chapter 12 in the passage that Derek just read for us, verses 2 through 8. So that's, that's bow our heads and join our hearts as we ask God to, to bless our church, to bless our study, and to bless our efforts to bring, to bring relief and, and to bring help to people that have been affected uh, with the recent floods and, and weather. Father, humbly, we stand before the, the power of Your throne and we ask for Your, your power to come to us in such ways that we count it blessing. You are great and mighty. You are almighty and holy. You are holy and compassionate and compassionate and gracious. And You hear us. The, the wonder of, of Your holy ear hearing our words, we pray, never be lost on us. Nor, Father, the greatness of Your voice, Your Word coming into our ear and into our hearts, may that never be lost on us. And so we pray, Father, as we study, that You will bless us with ears that hear and eyes that see. We also pray, Father, that these words do not just become a part of our thinking, that we just hear the Word and do nothing, but that it, we respond to Your Word in such a way that, that we serve You and serve other people to Your glory and to their blessing. And to this end, Father, we pray for Your strength and for Your vision to help us in this endeavor. We pray for those that have been affected by, by the weather in recent weeks. We pray, Father, that they receive help and we pray, Father, that You receive glory. So grant this, Father, in the name of Jesus, in hearing our prayer. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 12. A couple of years ago, there were two men, a couple of guys, working in a furniture delivery company. A fellow by the name of Gary would lift one end of the couch. A fellow by the name of Randy would lift the other. When they would go into homes where people were receiving this furniture, people would always comment how much they looked like each other. But they just chalked it up to coincidence. And then Randy started doing a little bit of family history. There had been a new law in Maine that allowed these adopted children to, to see their birth certificate, their original birth certificate. And knowing that he had been adopted, he was a little bit curious about his biological parents. He learned that his parents had died. But that before they had died, they had given birth to another son who was born on June 10th, 1974. Then it happened again. They were making a delivery and somebody commented on how much they, he and Gary looked alike. Well, back in the truck, Randy began to ask Gary some nonchalant questions about his life. Finally got to a part of the conversation, place in the conversation where he asked, you know, what, what's your birthday, by the way? And as soon as Gary said June 10th, 1974, Randy knew that he had found his brother long-lost brother. They had grown up in neighboring towns. They had gone to rival high schools, but now they had found each other and now they had become family. But that's not the end of the story. The local paper ran the story. It was picked up and, and sort of went viral. It went across the United States. Not long after the story was, was first published, there was a teary-eyed woman that showed up at their office with a birth certificate in her hand and she said, I am your sister. And they found... Their, their sister who had been born that was five years older than them and she walks into that place and she says, here I am, I'm 41 years of age and I've just now found my true brothers. 
There's a fellow by the name of Greg Berry that worked with them who was emotionally impacted by, by this, this great story. A good friend of Rand, Randy and Gary who continued to work at that furniture place. He said, you know, there's nothing like family, especially when you don't have one. Now, they do have one. Step out of that just for a minute. We are now in that practical section of Romans in our sermon study. As you know, Paul has spent the last 11 chapters talking about how the Gospel is just everything. And how the Gospel changes everything. If you believe that what Paul has written in Romans chapter 1 all the way to verse 11, chapter 11, is true, you believe it to be true, then it's going to change the way you live. If Romans 1 through 11 is true, then you're going to live a different life. And that's why he begins Romans chapter 12, the beginning of that practical section of Romans, the latter part of the book, with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's say that verse together as a church. Let's say it together with our outside voices. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And everyone said, to be a living sacrifice, as we talked about last week, means that you do not live any way that you want to live. To be a living sacrifice means that there's change going to come into your life. That's what Paul continues with in verse 2 of Romans 12. He says, do not conform. Because you're a living sacrifice, because this is your true and proper worship to God, in view of God's mercy, this is why Paul is urging them, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when that happens, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, when you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, your life enters a lifelong phase of change and transformation. Your life becomes all about finding and incorporating the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Now friends, it's just a huge mistake that, to think that God is finished with you when your sins are forgiven. When you are saved by God, it's not the end, but a new birth that leads to growing up as a certain kind of a human being. That's what the Gospel does. I mean, just imagine what a, a messy and a cruel place the world would be if, if parents said, well, you know, we successfully brought this new life into the world. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of expense. Well, we've done it. Sacrifice, but it's done. I guess our, all of our job is done. We're finished. Well, you know as well as I do that sometimes that really does happen in the world and the devastation that it brings. You know, Paul, if somebody said, you know, the gospel is just about your sins being forgiven, Paul would say no. The gospel is more than that. Paul would say no to any teaching that says that the gospel is only about sins being forgiven. Paul has a greater vision, a bigger vision, a more uh, a, an exhaustive vision a wider scope of what the Gospel is all about. Paul would say that the Gospel is about completely reorienting and restructuring your life. The Gospel begins something and the Gospel ends something in your life. The Gospel is not merely about this comprehensive, personal, individual renovation. 
But it's also about a wholesome change in relationships. Which is really what the rest of chapter 12 is going to be about. When God becomes your father and you are adopted into his family as a, as a son or a da- daughter, you become a part of something that's much larger. You become a part of a family that is called the church. Now here's the question. When you come to church, and by church I mean what we do when we're bumping elbows and rubbing shoulders in the hallway and going to Bible class together. When we come to this place and it's the big crowd and we're singing to God and we're, we're studying, we're praying, we're interacting with each other. When we come to church, do you say to yourself, I have finally found my, my, my brothers and my sisters. When, when we come to church, do you say, you know, there's nothing like church family, especially when you don't have one. Now, by the grace of God, I've got one. And this is exactly where Paul is going to take us this morning. You know, Paul as a Jew could never think of the tabernacle or the temple without sacrifices on that altar demonstrating devotion to God. And Paul as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth could never think of the church without living sacrifices. That is, people whose lives are completely given to God in devotion. When Paul says, I urge you to be a living sacrifice, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, what he's saying is that when you, when you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, there's something about those Old Testament devotion sacrifices, those whole burnt offerings, there's something about that that's like living a Christian, godly, discipled life. There's just something in the, in the Christian life that looks like those sacrifices. So what is it that Paul is going to show us about becoming a disciple and, and, and all of that restructuring and reorienting in this, this passage? Well, I think he shows us three things about what it means to be a living sacrifice. Number one, there's a unique sense of self. Number two, you get called into an unlikely community. And number three, you're encouraged to be the source or a fount of unending benevolence. So, unique sense of self, unlikely community, unending benevolence. Let's start with that first one. When you come into the church, there's this unique sense of self that you get. Uh, One of my my good friends, Cliff McCauley, works a lot with with folk uh, in, in the banking industry. He's always saying one of the greatest things that you can do, one of the greatest blessings you can pass to somebody is to give them a sense of self. I agree. To believe the gospel and to become a living sacrifice affects the way that you think about yourself. How you see yourself. Your, your self-imaging, your, your self-concept changes in the context of the Gospel. That's why Paul continues in verse 3, For by the grace given to me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, uh, the, the word for thinking shows up four times in that verse. The, the, the word phronane in the original language shows up four times in that verse, which underscores and emphasizes just how important it is in Paul's thinking that we as disciples think rightly about ourselves in light of the gospel. So, literally, what he's saying here, if you were to make this the Absherian literal translation of the original language, he would say, don't think high thoughts of yourself beyond what is right to think, and think of yourself in sober thoughts, meaning rigorously accurate. The thoughts that you have about yourself are in touch with reality. Now the question, why in the world is he trying to emphasize that? 
Why, why underscore the right thinking of self the way that he does it? Well, the answer is there are some ways of thinking about yourself that are incompatible with being a living sacrifice. Let me give you an example. Achievement-based sense of self. Most Americans, and especially American males, think of themselves in terms of achievements. What they have achieved. We hold up the self-made man in our culture right now. It's also the self-made woman. We hold these people up and we gauge our standing in the world, how we relate to the world, how we're identified in the world, how we relate to it, our standing in the world by what we achieve and in what areas of our life we have successes. It might be sports. It might be business, academics. It might be some kind of relationship, marriage or kids. But what happens is when we begin to look at those achievements, achievement-based sense of self, all of our eyes begin to be focused. I say all of our eyes. Most of us were born with two. Eyes. <laughs> I blanked for a moment about the anatomy. Eyes are on self, which can lead to an inflated view of self. You're always looking at yourself. Self becomes the center, the target, the focus. And the more you look at yourself, the bigger yourself gets. And a disciple of Jesus with an inflated view of self is not in touch with the reality of the Gospel. A disciple of Jesus with an inflated view of self is rigorously inaccurate in light of the cross of Jesus. If you're so great, Jesus didn't have to die for you. And the danger is that a living sacrifice with an inflated view of self will crawl off, will, crawl, will jump off of that altar. Your life has been called in completeness, in totality, to be given in devotion and in a committed devotion to God. And when we look at self and we become fixated with self and our sense of self becomes inflated and gets bigger and bigger, then we are tempted to jump off that altar that we've been called to give ourselves on as a living sacrifice. Instead, a living sacrifice views his or her life in light of their faith. A disciple's life begins to be restructured as he or she begins to think deeply and to apply profoundly and significantly the truth of the Gospel. And when people begin to see themselves through God's eyes, then what happens is that the church becomes this unlikely community. In a manner of speaking, in a manner of speaking, Christ did not stop being on earth with the ascension. When you read Paul, Paul believed in the ongoing incarnation of Christ in the church. That Christ continued to dwell and to work and to speak on the earth in the church. Paul tells the church in Corinth, who is messed up and completely divided and, 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 and going haywire, Paul reminds him that they're to be united. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, remember this, you are the body of whom? Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. To the church in Rome, chapter 12, verse 4, Paul continues that same kind of thought. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we... Though many, say the last three words, form one body. Let's say it again. Form one body. Let's say it one more time and let's say it with faith. Form one body. A healthy body 
When you think about it, a healthy body is one of the best examples of unity that you can find anywhere. I mean, think about all of the coordination that has to take place between muscle and bones and vision and nerve impulses for you to be able to get out of a chair and walk across the room. That only happens is everything from, from toes to retinas are united and working together. If not, I mean, you fall on the floor, you walk into a wall. And when a human being becomes a disciple of Jesus, they don't join a club, they don't join a league, they don't become a part of an institution. You know what you become a part of? A body. Now, not everyone has the same function or the responsibility or level of visibility in that body, but everyone becomes a part of that body. It's a marvelous thing when you think about it. I mean, think, think about our own church family here. I mean, think about all of the people that you know and are close to and have contributed to their life, and they have contributed to your life in, in, such, a blessing, uh, in, in such a blessed way that, that you're different because of, of that interaction. And just think, how many of those people you would not know if it was not, if it was not for this church, if it were not for the gospel and, and faith in it? I mean, we have toes from the 78209. And we have kneecaps from Elmendorf. And we have ears from Stone Oak. And we have elbows from Universal City. And we have eyes from downtown San Antonio. And we have a neck from Chavano Park. We have feet from Windcrest, hands from Bolverde. We have a mouth from New Braunfels, but our head is in heaven. The gospel creates the most unlikely community. The gospel achieves what is impossible anywhere else, and that is to break down the walls that divide human beings. The ethnicity, the nationality, the gender, the status, the, in the intelligence, the athleticism, or the wealth. And the Gospel does this by reminding humans that the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through a gate called the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And the way that it does it is to, the Gospel destroys fear and pride, which enables people who can't get along on the street to love each other and serve each other in the church. And because our salvation is a, a gift, it's by grace we are freed from selfishness and from self-centeredness in order to serve other people. And the Gospel creates, when you think about the love and you think about the sacrifice, it creates a sense of humility that we can rejoice in order that, that, that enables us to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. The Gospel can take a group of people as diverse as we have in this auditorium and make them one body. And when the community sees this diverse group of people, it does not see a mottled, checkered, and incompatible crowd. It sees the hands and the feet and the face of our Lord Jesus. The church is more than a support group. We are an alternate society. We are an alternate society made up of people whose lives have been reoriented. And have been restructured by the Gospel. And because of that, the body of Christ becomes a place of unending benevolence. You know, a couple of weeks ago I woke up in the middle of the night and got out of bed to get a bottle of water out of the fridge. Pitch black in the bedroom. Ellen sleeping away. Didn't want to wake her up. Didn't want to turn on the light. In the past, 
I had tried to navigate the darkness only to have my knees be introduced to a door frame or my toes to, to a bedpost. But my brain loves my knees. And my brain loves my toes. And at the same time recognizes that the eyes are not what they used to be. So my brain, which loves eyes and knees and toes, directed my hands one afternoon to put night lights strategically in the kitchen and in hallways in order to protect those knees and toes and not to embarrass the eyeballs. And so I got up in the middle of the night, didn't have to wake up Ellen, got that bottle of water, went back to bed, went back to sleep. In the church, in this body of Christ, one of the great things is that we not only get the Gospel, but we give the Gospel. The word benevolence is, is, is just a great word. It's, it's much bigger than acts of charity. Benevolence is an act of charity, but it's bigger than that. The Latin word, uh, and I'm going to pronounce this wrongly, and I'm going to apologize to, to Randy Thompson in advance. Bene is probably wene, but I'm going to say bene means good. And that word vol, V-O-L, in benevolence means to wish or to will. It's you know the word volition, where we, we wish or we, we, we choose to act in a certain way. In our church family, and as disciples of Jesus, what we do is we act and will and wish and, and get involved in the good of other people. The church is the place where each member chooses to will and to act in service for the good of the other members. Paul says in verse 5, so in Christ, a reminder of where we are to keep us humble, we are in Christ. We though many... Form, what? One body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it what? Cheerfully. Now, what that verse does is completely reorient our relationship to everybody else in this church, in this church body. Now, we live in a society, and, and, and I don't need to repeat this, but I'm going to. We live in a society at large that has its eyes on self. What have you done for me lately? When it, what's in it for me? What's the return of my investment? But as people of the Gospel... And Paul has just spent 11 chapters talking about the greatness of the Gospel. As people of the Gospel, our cups have been so filled that they are overflowing and we say instead, I've been blessed so profoundly and deeply and significantly and richly and eternally. What can I do to bless someone else? You know, sometimes we look at church as a place that I go to to get kind of inspired and psyched up to handle the rest of the week. And sometimes, you know, you go through a phase in life where that's true. You're going through a downtime, uh, a depressed time in your life. And the singing that you receive or the, or, or the message or the prayers or the interaction, the fellowship is what really helps you to keep going during the week with your faith intact. But that's, but that's not the way that a healthy body operates all the time. Paul gives six ways that the church makes sure that there is unending 
well-doing and, and blessing and, and service and sacrifice where the church takes care of itself and makes itself bigger and stronger and brighter and more beautiful and beautiful and beautiful. He says, how about prophecy and teaching? Where you help people to connect with the will of God through the Word of God every week. Service. You know, uh, from time to time, you know, there are just needs that arise that our church ministries uh, were not organized in a way to cover all of the needs that bounce up. And sometimes these needs bounce up and you hear about it. Don't wait for there to be a ministry that calls you. Go and meet that need. This morning, Daryl just gave one of the best lessons I ever heard in my life. And I'm going to encourage him right now because it was on encouragement. And he talked about we all need to be PC, which if you're a member at Mac, if you're a, a Mac person, you know that PC stands for the pink card. Be an encourager. Use those pink cards. Write somebody's name at the top of it. Write a note of encouragement to it. Drop it in that box as you're leaving. We'll make sure it gets to them. But encourage. Let somebody know that you see them. And not just see them where you say hi, but you see them. And you see what's happening. And you see the good or, or what it is that's going on in their life. And you encourage them. It's giving. It's giving. It's, it's, it's leadership. It's leading People through faith and through that encouragement and through that example to go to places in their faith that normally on their own they wouldn't be able to get to without you. And mercy. I mean, who doesn't need mercy from time to time? And what Paul is basically saying there is that, you know what, this, this whole statement that we hear from time to time that, you know, I don't want to go to church because they think they're perfect and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Listen, the church is full of hypocrites and we got room for more. We're not perfect. Let no one in this room think that the preacher is perfect. I am not. Let no one in this room think that any member, any elder, any, anybody is perfect. We're not. That's why we need mercy. We need mercy on a regular basis because we're going to mess up. We're going to mess up royally sometimes. And what do we need to keep going in our faith? Mercy. Somebody to say, I love you anyway. Somebody to say, come and, 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 and don't fall away. Don't go away. Don't disappear. It's about mercy. You know, I think about my own life. I have been so blessed with mentors and coaches and teachers and professors who made an impact on my life. But when I think back on one of the influences right at the top of my life that's responsible for me standing in this pulpit this morning, it's a married couple who dedicated themselves to a bunch of junior high kids in our church in teaching and serving and encouraging and leading. They were working with a bunch of 13 and 14 year old kids. And to this day, I know that they love me and we stay in contact with each other and every time we get on the phone, it's like we've never been apart. You know, when you begin to, to get out of that pew and to invest through, through teaching and service and encouragement and giving, giving and leadership and mercy... You know, you're not just making the body strong in the moment, but you're making the body stronger and stronger in the future. And I'm just telling you, you do not know the impact that you have on somebody else's life. And we're all different. We're all different. But the grace of God calls us to a certain kind of a life. And we're reminded over and over again that it's by grace, it's by grace, it's by grace. It's, it, it's, it's by what... God has done in loving us and what Christ has done in loving us. And, and that gives us such joy and that's one of the things that sustains us. But here's the thing. Jesus became a dying sacrifice in order for us to become a living sacrifice. 
And, and that's what we call you to become this morning. We're going to sing a song right now. It's a song of praise. We're going to praise God with all of our hearts. And we're going to love God with, with our singing this morning for the greatness of the Gospel. But there might be some needs. One of those might be that you haven't been living as a living sacrifice and you know that your feet have not been on, on firm, uh, the firm gra- uh, f- uh, ground of faith. And you've been wavering a little bit, wobbling a little bit, and you need the strength of your church. And we're here to pray for you and to be that merciful, encouraging, leading, sacrificing, serving, teaching body for you. Or it may be that, you know, you've been thinking about the gospel for a very, very long time and you realize that, man, that is that is the answer to all of my questions. Of how I'm going to be loved all the time in this world, how I'm going to be with someone, God in this case, all the time, never alone. How am I going to have the strength to go on during the valleys and those dark points, those difficult times in life where there's turmoil and there's trouble? Where does that strength come from? Where do I get rid of this guilt of, of, of things that I've said and things that I've done and thoughts that I've, I've thunk that, that I know were hurtful and devastating to other people? Where do I go to find hope? And where do I go to find joy? Where do I go to find peace? The answer is, you go to the cross of Jesus. And there you find that love. And there you find that forgiveness. And you go to His resurrection where you find that power and you find that hope and you find that joy that not only hits you today and continues with you all of your life, but, but, but continually emboldens you and strengthens you and, and, and makes you a, a completely reoriented and restructured person in your life and in your relationships. All the way to the end of eternity. If that describes you this morning, then we want to talk to you about, about how you can make an, uh, a statement of faith and an act of faith and participate in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being baptized this morning, by coming down and talking to our shepherds. Let's stand and let's praise God together. Sing the wonder.